it was nice. This was, but this was normal, right? It, it was a a game between uh, first of all ranked teams because there are rankings. Uh, secondly, one where there were uh, clearly playoff implications because I feel pretty confident that we're going to have playoffs. Felt super normal as long as you weren't unnerved by the 8,688 people all around you. It was a really great day. I started yesterday at 9 a.m. That's when the games started yesterday, and I left. Uh, I left Pomona Pitzer at uh, just after 9:30, and so. 12 and a half hours of division three football. And we haven't done that in a long, long time. And it was fun. It was fun. I loved it. Football fans. It's now time for the D three football.com around the nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Greg Thomas. It's the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, your weekly podcast about the largest division of college football. We welcome you to podcast number 284. I think this is season 15, episode 6. Um, that's not official. That's just what I'm uh, spitballing off the top of my head. Whatever uh, whatever edition it is, it's the podcast for September 6th of 2021. I'm Pat Coleman, the editor, publisher, etc. of D3Football.com. Once again, joined by my new-ish colleague. It's great to be back in the studio, Pat. Week one is in the books. We have a lot of ground to cover in this podcast. I've got my lunch pail packed and I'm ready to get to work. Let's go. Coming off of a day where, you know, people were glad to be back in uniform. You know, a bunch of schools hadn't played in about 650 days, take the field, lots of emotions, lots of big games, uh, a bunch of big scores. We are going to run all of that down. If this is your first podcast... Uh, here of the uh, D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Welcome. We appreciate that. We are going to talk about the week that was in Division Three football and then give you a little bit of a preview of what's to come. But, uh, you know, if you go to uh, the front page of D3Football.com, you see, of course, you know, big news about uh, three games between top 25 teams that uh, took place on Saturday. And, you know, at the one, uh, not to focus on the one that we were at or the one that I was at, but it is also... Uh, there were two really good ones, and this one came down to the final seconds, as it did before. We talked about it in the previous podcast. We uh, expected uh, a good possibility of something like this, and it comes down to the final seconds where uh, Aurora is facing goal to go from one yard out with under a minute remaining. Gavin Zimbelman, you know, a preseason All-America selection at quarterback, you know, nearly took his team past St. John's in the first round of the 2019 playoffs. And he is as close as you get to on the doorstep, uh, takes a snap, rolls out right. Colin Franz goes straight through untouched, knocks the ball away. St. John's falls on it. 8,600 roaring fans. And that is, you know, as people were talking about on Twitter on Saturday, asking, I guess, because uh, asking, is this an example of Johnny Magic? I suspect that's probably the case. Uh, I certainly think that the St. John's people would probably sign off on that. Textbook, maybe. Um, Yeah. So, you know, these two teams picked up basically right where they left off in the first round of the 2019 playoffs. They went back and forth the whole game, trading leads back and forth, back and forth all game. And then, you know, in 2019, we're wondering, what if Gavin Zimbelman and Aurora had 20 more seconds? 
You know, what if they had 30 more seconds? And this time they got the ball back down six points with enough time to complete a full two minute drive and have a chance to get into the end zone before the clock just runs out on them. They got down fourth and goal at the one Colin Franz comes in from the backside gets, you know, knocks the fumble out and, you know, pandemonium at Clem at Clemens stadium. And here's what Colin Franz had to say about that after the game. Just great to be back. Miss all our coaches, all our players. That was the toughest part of COVID just missing all the people that you love. So you are out of breath and it's like six or seven minutes after the yep. game, if not longer. Yep, just really emotional. We always talk about emptying the tank on D-line, leaving it all out there. And then we got our next guys up to pick it up for us. So glad we could have such a great team, especially on the defensive line together. This was fairly typical of a lot of the people I, I talked to after the game on Saturday. You just hear, and this is, you know, like I said, it's several minutes after the game is over, and he is just all emotion he's all hyped up he's still unable to catch his breath and you know just kind of a a real uh physical manifestation of the way that that game ended yeah and I think they know that that's a big game and I think they know they beat a really good team and I think they know there was you know questions about what St. John's was going to look like in in this 2021 you know a lot of a lot of replacements from 2019 for that squad so you know that's a big win for them that's a big win uh, for St. John's and it's a good result for Aurora and hope, you know, maybe that, maybe that, uh, regular season game will prevent a, a first round rematch in the playoffs, but who knows? Um, you know, we're going to circle back to Aurora, but this, you know, they're going to get a lot out of this game as well. And, you know, we're, we're not going to be done talking about Aurora, um, this week in this podcast, probably next week in the next podcast. And then we will almost, I, well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm projecting here, but we're probably going to talk about them in November as well. That certainly seems very likely. I'm going to give you a little bit of uh, just kind of the lay of the land right now for St. John's uh, Henry Trost, who's a name you may remember is a, uh, the running back for them had a big day on Saturday, 22 carries for 148 yards and a couple of touchdowns. Uh, keep an eye out for Alex Larson. He's a big tight end. You can't miss him. He's literally the prototype big tight end, like 6'7", 245 guy. Um, you know, they they threw at him nine times on Saturday. He had six catches for 123 yards and uh, two touchdowns, uh, including, you know, uh, one catch in which he had, uh, you know, he caught the ball maybe about 15, 20 yards downfield, I guess about 11 yards downfield and took it for another 30 yards after the catch. Um, so it's not, he's not blessed with breakaway speed. He definitely has tight end speed, but definitely, uh, someone to keep an eye out for, uh, Robbie Alston was our uh, preseason all America wide receiver. One of uh, three guys from that 2019 team that were really good. And uh, Aurora did a pretty good job bottling him up. They held him to five catches for 75. Uh, Aaron Severson is the uh, starting quarterback for them. He's a guy who is a Minnesota guy, but spent two years on the bench at Colorado State. Like, did not play uh, and has a bunch of eligibility remaining. Uh, looked pretty good in his uh, first start. And then, you know, the the St. John's defense with a bunch of new names also got to Gavin Zimbelman three times uh, for uh, for three sacks. And uh, that doesn't even include, of course, the uh, final play, which is uh, just a strip and not a sack, I suppose. But, uh, you know, keep an eye out for guys like uh, Ethan Stark. Big day for him. Uh, Seth Morum up front. Michael Wozniak up front. 
Um, and the guy, of course, we just talked to Colin Francis, a bunch of guys, of course, making their first career starts in St. John's uniforms. It was. And that, you know, they, Gavin Zimmelman really had a great time in the spring. Gavin Zimmelman kind of was a little turnovery a little bit in some of those NACC games um, did not turn it over all day until fourth and one. And I mean, really, that's just a great play by, by Colin Franz and not anything uh, Gavin Zimmelman did, did wrong there. Yeah. Zimmelman had a, a tough start. He was one for seven. He was missing some guys and that sort of thing. And I was surprised at how little Colton Jewell was part of the offense. I mean, he wasn't targeted very often. I love, by the way, the new stat program that most uh, Division three schools, most NCAA schools are using that have times that uh, uh, receivers were targeted, yards after the catch, that sort of thing. The things that we used to have to keep track of manually and never had time to do so. So that's super helpful. Um, so anyway... I was keeping an eye on Jewel because he is uh, uh, he's been nominated as a tight end for All American a couple times, and I am just watching like a hawk. Is like, when is he? Is he ever lined up actually with the formation? He's in the slot a lot. He occasionally lined up as a tight end, so I'll, I'll keep an eye out and see if we can continue to consider him a tight end going forward. But he just had four catches for forty yards. It was Trey Madsen had a big day with seven catches for one forty-seven, and then uh, Brock Harner in the red zone with uh, two catches, uh, both of them for touchdowns. Um, you know, I, I like the, you know, the, the look of the offense is good. I had forgotten how well Zimbleman runs also. So at that time when he was going one for his first seven, uh, nonetheless, you know, Aurora was able to move the ball downfield and uh, get a couple of first downs on that first drive, uh, because of Zimbleman's feet and, you know, just, uh, seeing the guy in person for the first time also always helps. Yeah. And that last play is interesting because they, uh, Aurora took a timeout right before that fourth down play. And then St. John's took a timeout and you wonder, did they change the play there? What options did they consider first? Did they change after the second timeout that, that uh, the Johnnies took? Uh, you know, that's one that that's one that they're going to think about for a long time, I think. I think we know that they did because they actually ran the play. The whistle blew and the snap was already basically in motion. And Zimbleman took the snap and dove off right tackle and, and got into the end zone. But obviously don't go right back to that well the second time. Yes, they had run up after they had run up to it looked like they were going to run up to uh, spike the ball. They had taken a timeout before. Right. And I think they were, if I remember correctly, Aurora took its last timeout before the third down play and probably came back out with two play calls. Right. One. So they ran. So they knew they were throwing the ball short of the end zone. They picked up six on third and goal from the seven and they were rushing up right away to try to uh, try to get the game. You. Are right, and that is what. Well, I was I was right there, so <laughs> that is that is what twelve and a half hours of uh, Division three football will do in one day. You, you gets a little fuzzy sometimes. A lot of time on that game, uh, and of course, it's a big game. Also, uh, the other one that we don't want to uh, we don't want to ignore. Uh, we'll talk about more a little bit later, but just want to address it here in the top two uh, in that uh, W&J coming up with the win against John Carroll. This is a game that was between, you know, basically the number two team in the pack from the spring and the number two team in the OAC in general. Uh, you know, a game that uh, maybe eventually could potentially determine who gets an at-large bid to the NCAA playoffs because there are only five. Uh, and when you have uh, two teams that are in contention from separate conferences actually having met in a regular season game, that's a big uh, factor, obviously. It is. And this is a game that was 0-0 at halftime. These two defenses played really, really well in the first half. It was stalemate football. Um, everything was pretty much between the 20s in the first half. 
Start of the third period, John Carroll uh, scores a long touchdown run. Uh, Demarius Goodwin goes 37 yards to get John Carroll on the board quickly. Uh, Washington Jefferson comes right back two plays later. Andrew Wolf with a 65-yard touchdown pass from Justin Heacock. And then WJ scored the next two touchdowns of the game. They go up 21 to seven in the fourth quarter. And John Carroll did manage to get a score later in the game, but uh, WJ really controlled uh, this game start to finish with their defense. And Andrew Wolf is just, he's a problem for everybody and made some really nice plays for WJ when they needed it. Yeah. If you forgot about him when he was injured, remember him now, I guess is all I'm trying to say. We talked about emotions, also, people just in general really glad and happy to be back. And uh, here is uh, Dante Simmons from Delaware Valley. He scored three touchdowns in DelVal's win against Kane to talk a little bit about that as well. Uh, it, felt, it felt amazing to be out there on the field. You know, two years off, you know, it's a lot of downtime. It's a lot of thinking, a lot of hard work put in. And I was just excited to be able to show the hard work that we put in yeah. over the offseason because I wasn't sure how COVID, how everything was going on. So I'm just grateful that we're actually even able to play yeah. right now. DelVal with an easy win against Kane, 57-6. Thanks to Gordon Mann for that clip. Quickly, uh, one other couple of things from Saturday or from this first weekend. Really high on Mount Union, at least I am, coming out of that game against, against Westminster of PA. Uh, you know, Westminster, very high on some people's ballots, very high on, um, you know, some other publications, preseason polls. I think I saw as high as number 12. Uh, we had them number 20 and it was a little more comfortable with that. And, uh, you know, Mount Union just made them look like they make everybody else. Basically, Mount Union against anybody who's ranked anywhere from 10 to almost all the way down to 239 they can pretty much pick their score and this was basically that sort of thing as well right it's 48 to 7 with a buck 34 to go in the third quarter and that's also the final score uh they hold westminster to eight first downs braxton plunk 29 to 38 for 345 yards josh petroselli uh only 97 yards on the ground before touchdowns on the ground just another yet another uh mount union dismantling of a good team it is and i think you know, this is it's, this has got to be comforting for Mount Union fans who, you know, maybe you're wondering what Mount Union is going to look like in the post Karis era. This is the first uh, fall game that they've played uh, since since those transitions have happened. Um, they looked great. I think it's interesting. You know, you look at what happened in the spring versus what's happening in the fall. In the spring, Mount Union had a really, really tough time uh, running the ball. They really did in in their spring OAC games. And I know they were using a lot of uh, underclassmen at, on their offensive line, and that has a lot to do with it. But Josh Petroselli, for instance, did not score a rushing touchdown in the spring until right before halftime of the OAC championship against Heidelberg. They could not get him in the end zone. Uh, now they're back at full strength. The roster is back. They've got their upperclassmen back on the offensive line, Josh Petroselli four touchdowns rushing for Mount Union. And if they're going to get that kind of balance, they're going to be just as good as they've been. 
that offensive line was one of the places in the spring of this year where they had lost a bunch of guys who would have played if there had been a fall season, right? And then chose not to play and then did not return, you know, graduated, move on with their lives because in the at the Division three level, that's generally what we do. I'm So I'm high on Mount Union. I'm a little bit down on Chapman. Uh, I already did not have them on my ballot, so I couldn't drop them off of my ballot. Um, I know you and I talked about this game offline a little bit before, but, uh, you know, this is a, I'm talking about a 35-23 win at Pacific, a game that was, you know, they had somewhat in hand, right? They were up 28 to nine. They were up 35, 15, but it's just like, uh, but considering where Chapman came from, right. Uh, advancing into the second round of the playoffs, which is, uh, not, uh, not all that common for a Skyac team, uh, going against someone who's in the middle of the pack of the Northwest conference. I guess I just expected more, um, I don't know. Maybe this is just my confirmation bias, but I think you watched a little bit more of that game, if I'm not mistaken. A little bit, yeah. And you know, Chapman was a little bit sleepy offensively to start that game. Um, they got a pick six from Dylan Keefe, who was still really, really good at football, as it turns out. Um, he that gets guys all right. Yeah, he's 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 quite good. Uh, but Dylan Keefe uh, gets a pick six for Chapman. It kind of wakes them up a little bit. Uh, Dylan Keefe gets the 41 yard interception return pick six for Chapman Chapman scores again, right before halftime to go up 14 to six. And they Chapman really controlled the game uh, from there on Pacific got a, a late touchdown to bring that score back up to 35 to 23. Um, maybe not as clean and crisp as clinical as, as you would have expected from Chapman with the number of players they have cap as they have coming back. They still have the two quarterback system, Reed Vettel and Johnston McIntyre. They're still doing that. They're still using a boatload of uh, running backs. Isaiah Woods is back. Uh, Tanner Mendoza is back, who had a great postseason um, when he was pressed into uh, sort of full-time duty uh, in 2019 in the postseason. Tanner Mendoza was great there. He's back. You know, they just spread it around. Not a lot of stuff that stands out from the box score individually for Chapman, but you know, they sort of work their way to a win up there in Pacific. And if they're going to, you know, if they're going to go back to the second round of the playoffs that, you know, you'll expect Chapman to be a little bit better than that. If they're going to return to uh, where they were in 2019. Also congratulations, coach Bob Owens, win number 100. This edition of the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast is sponsored by our Patreon patrons. Uh, I talked to a couple of them up at St. John's on Saturday, which was very nice. Uh, it was good to talk with them and thank them in person for their you know, contributions to keeping the site running. One of the things that having this program does and has allowed us to do is not just keep the lights on, which it, it did do that for like a year, and that's super helpful, but... Also, we're not just relying on this program for that. We're also making some additions, making some improvements. For example, this past weekend, I actually hired someone to help us with scoreboard updates, which generally, the way things get onto our scoreboard, we're going to go super behind the scenes and maybe you don't care, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Um, schools either can post that information themselves and you know there's probably a dozen or so that are pushing their live stats in any given day directly onto our scoreboard and that is super helpful when you see a game that is being updated every two minutes that is what's happening a school is doing that otherwise it would have been 
basically me and Greg and you know sometimes other members of our team are who already or already a part of our team doing that. What I did was I was able to actually hire someone to solely focus on that for seven hours on Saturday afternoon. So a bunch of games that normally you might have gotten one or two updates from us on and would have had to click on the live stats link to learn anything more. Uh, instead, if you're scrolling your phone at halftime, which I think a lot of people at games who follow us are, you can see all sorts of things. We had an extra basically 20 to 25 games that were frequently updated because of that, because of our Patreon subscribers, and we really appreciate that. Those are the sorts of things that we are committing to do with that funding that we get from you guys on a regular basis. So if you're interested in doing that, go to patreon.com slash d3sports. Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Game ball. Game ball. Game balls. Game balls. Game balls. It's time for game balls, and my game ball is going to Johns Hopkins wide receiver Harrison Wellman. So 650 days for Johns Hopkins between games, and Stevenson played a little bit this past spring. And so the Blue Jays started off a little bit slowly on Saturday, but they put up 20 points in a four-minute burst to make it 33-3 to on the way to a 53-18 to victory. Wellman's contribution was 11 catches for a career-high 230 yards and two touchdowns, and that included a 64-yard TD strike down the middle on the first drive in the third quarter to make it that 33-3. to So as a guy who has three catches of 60 yards plus in the past eight games, all of them for touchdowns, and Hopkins definitely off on the right foot here in Greg Chimera's second season as head coach. Yes, they are. That was a really, really strong result. Some of us, somebody in 20 questions picked Stevenson as a surprise playoff entrant, and that that pick, still alive. I was going to say... More I, of a surprise, I, maybe now. I feel I feel slightly less confident, but Stevenson, they can come back. It's not a conference game. They'll be good in the MAC. You're telling me that was your pick. That's what I'm getting from you. I think I'm picking up what you're putting down. Yes, that was me. Uh, my game ball. I teased this a little bit earlier, but my game ball is going to go to Washington and Jefferson wide receiver Andrew Wolf. Andrew Wolf caught eight passes for 172 yards and all three of the president's touchdowns in a 21-14 win at John Carroll. We called this a must-win game in last week's episode, and when WJ needed big plays against a really stout John Carroll defense, their preseason All-American came through with touchdown receptions of 65 and 56 yards and added a nifty little seven-yard score on a corner fade to seal the deal for WJ. Now, we generally don't compare notes when we're picking uh, our game balls. I will just say that uh, Keith McMillan would be rolling over in his grave if he were actually dead uh, at the thought of not only two offensive players getting game balls, but both of them wide receivers. And I can just hear, I can just hear him, the, uh, the former Division Three safety. I can only assume that, I don't know if Keith is even commuting to work and listening to the podcast or, or whatever, but him going down uh, 395 and just cursing at us, I'm pretty sure. After we put those game balls in, I thought, oh man, I am, I'm not holding up my end of the bargain in this chair. Well, and I don't even know if we both have to, if, if if you have to be the defense guy, I don't think that makes sense either. Uh, I just need to, uh, I need to be more cognizant of that. What I need to do is just give multiple game balls. Oh yes, that's true. That was a, uh, that was a thing. 
Venturing a little further afield for the Off the Beaten Path highlight, I want to head to Newport News, Virginia. I'm going down 395. I'm getting on 95. I'm going east on 64, where uh, people might suggest that an NJAC ODAC game isn't exactly off the beaten path for this podcast, but it's not super often that Washington and Lee looks to schedule a program such as Christopher Newport. Uh, here is how not often this happens. The generals tend to stick to playing schools that they feel are more like them, like Dickinson, Sewanee, Johns Hopkins, Claremont, Mud Scripps, Center. I could name six or seven more schools. You get the picture. Those are all teams they played in the last decade or so. In fact, I had to go back to 1991 to find the last time WNL played a state school. By the way, that was Alabama-Birmingham, for those of you who remember the five minutes that UAB was in Division Three. So, like the Generals, since then, they've played in Bermuda. They've played Swarthmore more recently than they've played a state school. And, you know, Swarthmore has gone 21 years without football now. So this game, practically unprecedented and also certainly a thriller. Sophomore quarterback Matt Dzerski had never thrown a pass in a CNU uniform before Saturday night, and his team is trailing 24-21 in the final minute. He gets chased out of the pocket on second and goal with 45 seconds left. Dzerski shakes out of a sack attempt in the backfield, then cuts left, flips over the defender attempting to make the tackle the goal line, and he lands in the end zone for the touchdown with 39 seconds left. But the most memorable part for me is a celebration afterward, and I want to play for you CNU's call. This is Francis Tomasino and Tracy Cooper on the Christopher Newport Pepsi Radio Network. Second and goal from the six. Shotgun snap. Dzerski in trouble. He skits away. He's running. Dives. Oh, my goodness. Into the end zone. Dzerski, a touchdown, and the captains take the lead. 27 to 24 with just 39 seconds left in the game. Matt Dzerski, and he just gets knocked down on the track. Keep them healthy, people. <laughs> so Dzerski runs off the field. He's chased by his teammates. He goes through the bench area, and then he gets clipped by know, like a game day staff member or a student or something, and he falls in a heap on the track. But, you know, never mind. He's fine, and that's a name you might want to file away as he threw for two touchdowns and then ran for the other two in that win. Yeah, there's a great clip. Uh, CNU Athletics tweeted out a great clip of that play. Um, it's just pandemonium. A lot of fun. Um, I am going to Greenville, Illinois for my off-the-beaten-path highlight. After battling back from an early two-touchdown deficit, Greenville went back and forth with the visiting Milliken Big Blue in the fourth quarter. Milliken took a three-point lead with two minutes and 12 seconds left in the contest, but you just cannot leave Greenville quarterback Chase Butterfield with that much time, Pat. I never have. I never would. Butterfield worked the two-minute drill to perfection, throwing the game-winning 19-yard touchdown to Seth Logan. That's their fourth touchdown connection on the afternoon. And with just 30 seconds left, uh, that secured the 37-33 win for Greenville. That's a great result for Greenville and the UMAC over a team that I think uh, could be in that second tier of CCIW teams that are not North Central and Wheaton. Um, and that's also a result that's really tough for the CCIW on what was a pretty tough week one for that conference. They went just two and six uh, this weekend. I think this is the only time we could ever say anything having to do with Butterfield is off the beaten path, right? Uh, Butterfield Stadium is uh, at Ithaca, which is the reference I'm making, is about as beaten path as you get in Division Three football. Uh, and uh, by the way, I was going to throw out, because we're not going to talk about it otherwise, uh, Ithaca defeating Bridgewater State on Saturday by the score of 52-20. to 20. That is not my most surprising result. Surprise! My most surprising result from Saturday 
is the University of Chicago beating Washington U 31-21. So the Maroons hadn't beaten their arch rival since 2014, and that's before that little brief stint that uh, both teams ended up spending in the Southern Athletic Association. It had been so long since the Founders' Cup changed hands, they had to go back and look up what the traveling trophy actually was between those two teams. So Wash U lines up for a 50-yard field goal attempt, which uh, U of Chicago blocked early in the fourth quarter. That was an attempt that could have tied the game. And then three plays later, Nicholas D'Ambrose took a handoff 58 yards down the left sideline to make it a 10-point game. I'll definitely be keeping a closer eye on Chicago now going into Midwest Conference play because that conference doesn't have a defending champion with St. Norbert moving out to the NACC. My most surprising result is East Texas Baptist sneaking out of Platteville with a 37-31 win over the Pioneers on Thursday night. Cornelius Merchant had a huge day for the Tigers with 187 yards rushing and scoring plays of 65 and 60 yards. ETBU has been stuck on the six or seven win season for a little while now, and this win might signal that the Tigers are ready to take another step forward. Uh, They very nearly knocked off uh, UMHB in the spring season. Uh, The Crusaders scored very late in the fourth quarter to win that game 30 to 28. So they've been competitive recently against top competition. They'll hope that good momentum travels well because the Tigers will open up ASC play this coming weekend against UMHB. Hot off the wire, my stat of the week comes from the Montclair State RPI game, where it was the expected defensive battle going into the third quarter with RPI leading 7-0. And then Montclair puts up three touchdowns without a single offensive possession. Michael Stefkovich takes back an interception, 59 yards for a score to tie the game. Jalen Harris follows with another pick six on the ensuing drive. And then Seamus Nelson forces a fumble and returned it 92 yards for a score to give Montclair the 20-7 lead. But uh, George Marinopoulos rallied the engineers for two touchdown drives in the fourth quarter to give RPI that 21-20 win. But you wouldn't think it possible for Montclair to even be in the game with just 139 yards of total offense. Also, required hat tip to Twitterless Gordon Mann for the uh, for the heads up on that one. Indeed, and I don't think that it would be responsible for us to get out of this podcast without mentioning the P101 Bowl featuring Gustavus Adolphus and Buena Vista. Pronunciation 101. Buena Vista. Monon Belt. Buena Vista. Muhlenberg. Gallardi. Worcester. Gustavus Adolphus. Gustavus Adolphus won this game 80-58. to 58. The 80 points are a Gustavus Adolphus record. That's not my stat. The game had 1,241 yards of total offense. Also not my stat. This game had 18 offensive touchdowns. Also not going to be my stat. Somehow, in a game with almost 140 points, over 1,200 yards of offense, 18 offensive touchdowns, these teams still found enough time to punt seven times. Did they play 75 minutes? I don't know. But that may be the most incredible stat from a game that was filled with incredible stats. I did a double take at that one. Uh, I also did a double take at the halftime score between Nebraska Wesleyan and Eureka, where uh, Nebraska Wesleyan led that one 55 to 20 at halftime. I thought we might have some scoreboard malfunctions there. As I was looking through, there were lots of live stat malfunctions on uh, Saturday for sure. I opened up one game. Uh, I opened up the River Falls Elmhurst game, and what I got was women's basketball live stats, which with, with a score that was very similar to 80 to 58, by the way, I think it was 84 to 75 or something like that. And I was like, I just had to, again, just look through. I was like, mm, nope, those are like shooting numbers, and those are women's names, and this is probably not the football live stats. Yeah, that's week one Division three football 
sometimes live stats are, we're still ironing that out with, uh, you know, student staff and whatnot that are learning these programs for the first time. Yeah. And, and like your campus it very well could have changed how you connect to FTP over the summer, right. Or over the fall or over the winter, uh, lots of things can go wrong. And uh, several of them did. Your categories have become tiresome. Now's the time on Sprockets when we dance. That was the time on the podcast where we go to Twitter. And uh, we always do that when we're getting ready to record this podcast. You can throw us some questions. Some people threw at us questions that we've already answered. So if you want to know about, uh, you know, St. Thomas not being in the MIAC and St. John's potential playoff seating, I would encourage you to rewind. Go back one whole podcast in your feed. Pick up uh, podcast 283. We talk about that. Uh, this uh, question is from Nicholas Jones, which is at Nicholas A. Jones, asking if you got any hot takes about teams that played in the spring over those that didn't and the success they will have. And I will say, you know, uh, Greg, I mean, I mentioned earlier on in this very podcast, you know, did Johns Hopkins coming a little bit slow out of the gate against Stevenson, which definitely had a real spring and at least one real game. You know, is that something that's a that's something um but then again, you go the opposite way. If I looked at the Randolph-Macon Dickinson game, right? Randolph-Macon played as full a spring as you could have. Full five games. They were 5-0. and um, And they came out slow, and Dickinson had a 14-3 lead. And I was going, wow. I thought that – I think we had – wait, we had Randolph-Macon 17 last week. I thought I already thought that was a little high, and here I am thinking, oh, my gosh, that's really high. Randolph-Macon comes back and puts it together. I, I don't know that I see a trend. No, I don't I, – I think that's the – I think I mean, that's the hot take, I guess, is that I don't know that there's correlation, really. We've, there's You can find a number of examples of teams playing really well from week one that did not play in the spring. Uh, the great teams like Wheaton and Wisconsin-Whitewater, they didn't play in the spring. They looked like they haven't missed a beat at all. Um, you can look at some other teams and see examples where maybe teams that played in the spring have an edge over teams that did it. Uh, Franklin versus Illinois Wesleyan is one. Franklin played in the spring. They go out to Illinois Wesleyan and win a game there. And Illinois Wesleyan did not play. Uh, the HCAC is a good conference to, to lean into on this one. Um, you know, Wabash went down to Rose Holman and won a game against a team that played a full conference season in the spring. Um, and Wabash Wait, I thought Rose Holman... Like I know, so I thought Rose Holman looked pretty good in that game. I obviously didn't. I'm just looking at final score, right? That That score is pretty close. Yeah, they, you know, Rose Holman found some found some success uh, throwing the ball uh, deep. Their quarterback uh, dropped in a couple of really nice deep balls early in the game. Wabash did a good job in that game controlling the line of scrimmage. They really shut down Rose Holman's uh, run game, really made them one-dimensional on a, a wet evening in Terre Haute. And, you know, over, over the course of the game, Wabash made a few more plays in that one. Uh, won the game. Uh, Rose Holman got a late score there. I think they scored with one second left to tighten that one up a little bit. But you know, w- you know, Wabash did some things that you look think that a team that hasn't played in close to two years would do. And you know, Rose Holman was replacing a lot of uh, experienced offensive linemen for sure. And and it looked at that way at times. I think one of the things that really kind of is going to balance this all out is that for the most part. It's not exclusively so, but for the most part, you know, the entire conference played. So you, it, it might have an impact here in a couple of non-conference games, maybe. And again, maybe just for a quarter or so. But you're going to get into conference play pretty soon. And, you know, if you're Mary Harden Baylor, well, everybody else in the conference also played three, four, five games, right? Um, if you are, you know, I would even say, um, 
you know, you can't even say that about Mountain Union against Westminster, right? Because both of those conferences played full springs. I feel like I don't feel like there's a lot of uh, impact. And then when we get back into non-conference play in November and December, I mean, it's almost I would I would almost look more at the other direction to the teams that played five games in the spring and are now playing 20 games in a calendar year. If they go, you know, if they go deep into the playoffs, are they more fatigued? Are there more injury issues? That sort of thing. So. I, I don't think it uh, it definitely doesn't it's definitely not going to make an impact in the playoffs. It might in very limited instances here, um, but I don't. I, I feel like there's just there's definitely not going to be a trend, and I don't think that it's going to make a a big significant difference. No, and I think that the the rosters that teams used in the spring are so inconsistent. Um, you know, it's hard to say. Are the same guys that played in the spring the guys that are playing now in the fall? Um, in some cases, yes. In some cases, no. And so. Um, you know, I think it's just, there's so many variables. I think it's hard to correlate anything. And I think the results are scattered enough to say that maybe, maybe who played in the spring and who didn't, isn't going to be a predictor of uh, success week to week. Rest of this podcast, we will look forward to week two. And my game to watch is probably not much different than the game I just watched, actually. This is Aurora traveling to take on the national power that wears red and white and is breaking in a new quarterback, right? Uh, in this case, however, much shorter bus ride as they take on the defending national champs in North Central. What I'm going to look for from Aurora this time around is a couple of key things. Uh, first off, improved special teams play. Spartans uh, gave up a ton of yards in simply just not being able to field kickoffs well, including getting a hand on the ball outside the end zone, having it bounce back into the end zone, and then taking it out and giving the offense poor field position on more than one occasion. Last time I read this rule, and someone will correct me if I'm wrong, I'm sure, but you only have to bring it out if you fully possess the ball outside the end zone and then bring it back over the line. That's where you can be liable for safety. Then again, I know for a fact that not all D3 officials get this call correct. I remember one specifically from a first-round playoff game that thankfully did not have an impact on the final score of like 48-2. to Secondly, their kicking game is going to be limited to probably PATs and maybe very short field goals. Aurora had a PAT blocked on Saturday. And then on the North Central side, well, you know, the big question obviously is uh, let's see what they have to offer at the quarterback position. Is it someone who can get the ball to Andrew Kaminsky? Those are the things I'm looking for when Aurora travels to North Central on Saturday. Indeed, that should be a great game. Uh, my my game to watch next week is another top 10 matchup uh, between University of Wisconsin-Whitewater at Salisbury. The Horrocks are going out to Maryland here. Uh, in week one, Salisbury did what they do. They rushed for over 500 yards and a pretty comfortable win over Albright. Uh, Whitewater wait, raced out to a 41-0 halftime lead over Carthage before they really tossed out the anchor and cruised uh, to a 46 to seven win in 2019 Salisbury uh, Salisbury did the deed knocking off the eventual WIAC champions from UW Oshkosh in a September matchup uh, Salisbury can be tricky to prepare for if they're not a team that are a regular on your annual schedule um, that plus the long travel out to Maryland it's going to be an interesting test for the Warhawks this weekend uh, Whitewater's offense is going to be really, really good this season. I think we saw that in the first half against Carthage. Um, but if Salisbury can keep the Warhawks off balance defensively, really control the possession, uh, limit the number of opportunities that Max Mailer and that Warhawk offense get, the goals could find themselves uh, on the right side of another WIAC uh, contest here. The ball's rolling, it's rolling, and it lands on number 73. And game number 73 
of week two is a Saturday afternoon matchup between Howard Payne and McMurray. So uh, we're already, of course, getting into conference play. We're already here in a position where we're going to do this here. This is our random game, and what we do is we preview the game right off the cuff right here. We didn't know what this game was until, what, 27 seconds ago. And then we also create a uh, rivalry trophy for it. Um, I cannot promise that I'm going to write a song parody every week to match the trophy. Um, pretty sure that was a one-time fever dream at 11.45 at night that probably won't be repeated. But uh, have I stalled enough for this ASC matchup between the folks from Brownwood and the folks from Abilene? I should say the folks from South Abilene. And I won't use the nickname that the McMurray people use for Howard Payne. Howard Payne had a really, really strong opening win against Texas Lutheran on Saturday. They beat TOU 43-17. to um, TOU, one of the stronger teams in the ASC. I'm not sure that we saw that result coming. That, could, that was a candidate for surprising result of the week. McMurray, uh, their opening game against Trinity, uh, canceled because of COVID, predict, uh, COVID protocols. They didn't get to play. I just wonder if Jason Bachtel is still coaching from home. Remember we talked to him back in, oh, now I'm going to go look through again with the podcast uh, notebook, right? Uh, number 279, that famous 279 we referenced last week is now required off-season listening. You know, this is interesting because, you know, Howard Payne uh, went through this uh, four-year stretch where they literally won a total of three games. Um, and then uh, in uh, Braxton Harris's third year as head coach, they busted through they went five and five uh then he left to take another job jason Bachtel is a former howard Payne quarterback he came back uh they were two and three in the spring season and i thought they were pretty good then too um you know i suppose in retrospect maybe we shouldn't have been so surprised that they beat texas lutheran but they really handled texas lutheran um it was a one-point game back in february um, they beat Sol Ross and they beat McMurray back in February and lost big to Harden Simmons, lost to Bellhaven uh, in the Western, I assume the West half of the ASC. Uh, and then the crossover game against Bellhaven. I think this is going to be a, I think this will be a really good game. I, I would favor Howard Payne to bring the pain, but I don't know what we call this game. So I've actually made this drive before uh, in the basketball uh, sense of the world. It used to uh, a couple of times went on like, multiple day meandering trips uh, through parts of the country. And this one was the Tour de Tejas, the uh, tour of Texas. Drove from Abilene to Brownwood, Abilene home to McMurray, Brownwood home to Howard Payne. And you actually go through Coleman, Texas, in order to get to Brownwood from Abilene. And somewhere way deep in the uh, D3 Hoops blog archives, there's a photo of me with uh, standing next to the sign for Coleman, Texas. Uh, anyway... The road you take to get there is US 84, and I would propose that we just call this the uh, US 84 trophy. The trophy will travel back and forth between these two schools on Route 84. It's the Route 84 Cup. How about the war on 84? Yes. Stout and Eau Claire use that as the war on 94, Interstate 94. But I don't think there's any reason we couldn't reappropriate that for this use. Absolutely not. It works. So that's the war on 84 on a Saturday between Howard Payne and McMurray. It's time for On the Spot. On the Spot is our game where we pick things and make the other person pick things. Um, you know, actually, 
So this rotates. You should be going first this time around. You good with that? I'm good. All right. So it's your turn to put me on the spot and you lead off. All right, Pat. I want you to pick two teams from schools that have been named by at least two people to get their first win in week two. Schools that have been named by at least two people. Does that mean, so are we talking like schools that have two names in them, like Davis and Elkins or something like that, not to, to pick a D3 one? Yes. So uh, two games of double named people to get their first wins on Saturday. And I'm looking, so in the part of the uh, uh, schedule that I've scrolled to, I see Franklin and Marshall is hosting Susquehanna. Franklin and Marshall is certainly eligible for something like this. I don't picture them being such a great pick against Susquehanna. Uh, Susquehanna is looking really good over the last year plus. I feel like I am probably going to have to take here uh, William Patterson over FDU Florham. I'm not sure that I'm super convinced that uh, Patterson wins this game, but one thing that William Patterson does have going for it under head coach Justin Johnson is they have gotten a bunch of the guys from Wesley. I think they have maybe a half dozen Wesley transfers. So, you know, William Patterson did not win this past Saturday. They lost at Western Connecticut 24 to 21, but I need to pick someone with two names and that's where I'm going here. And then I'm going to scroll down and I'm definitely going to take Washington and Lee over Suwanee. That seems like uh, probably the template that you might have been going for in uh, asking me to pick two two named teams to win. Yeah, I thought I thought W and L would be would be on the list for sure. There are some other ones in there that you could have gone after. Right. So I thought about Hampton Sydney for a, a hot second, but I don't know about Hampton Sydney against Widener. And I don't know. If, I don't know if those are names and maybe that doesn't matter. Did they actually need to be names or just have two like separate things in their titles or whatever? Preferably names, but I assume they're names. Yeah, we'll go with that. Um, Howard Payne and McMurray. That was another possibility also. Right. Uh, uh, certainly a possibility there. Lewis and Clark. I would not I'd probably pick against Claremont. Claremont uh, looking pretty good. And um, and that sort of thing. Pomona Pitzer Whittier certainly was a possibility as well, but I'm going to stick with WNL and William Patterson. All right. Now I'm going to put you on the spot here, and I am going to ask you, Greg, to pick a first-year coach who will pick up his second win this weekend. Oh, wow. So obviously there's a prerequisite here, right? This is a first-year coach who has won a game already, and I'm trying to stick to people who have won their games in the fall. Let's see. I could go to Wartburg here. Wartburg is playing Gustavus Adolphus. Man, Gustavus Adolphus just scored 80 points. And so that game could be anybody's game, really. I have like that's wild. I might I might pass on Wartburg just because you never know. That game is uh that game is in St. Peter. Bridgewater. Oh, I think this is the this is the one I think. Bridgewater and first year coach Scott Lem at Bridgewater. They're gonna go play at Southern Virginia. And I think that's my lock. I'm gonna lock that in. Bridgewater over Southern Virginia. Okay, that sounds like a pick. Southern Virginia, we talked about them ever so briefly in the last pot, and then they went and won at Wilmington in overtime. A bit of a surprise. 
that we'll talk about in spot check in just a moment. But I wanted to just tell you what you uh, ducked, what you avoided, was that you did not have to then also pick a second-year coach to get their first win. Because as I look through the schedule, we had four second-year coaches get their first win on Saturday in week one. And I don't think there's basically anybody eligible for uh, for that going forward. So congratulations to Brad Davis at Guilford, C.C. Grant at Coast Guard, and Brian Foose at Capital, each of whom picked up that first win. Last week in this space, I asked Greg to pick three winners out of teams playing opponents from multiple regions away. And here in our spot check, he got two out of three with UW Oshkosh beating Huntington and Whitworth surviving in the final minute against Carnegie Mellon. But he did not get the full trifecta with Wittenberg losing to Cortland. So Bree Segala was really great uh, for Cortland. Uh, They did a really great job and handled Wittenberg pretty easily. I asked Pat last week to pick two teams switching conferences to win games on Saturday, and he got... He got both of them right. There were three possible correct choices. His choices were McAllister over Minnesota Morris. McAllister got it done. St. Norbert defeated Loris. The other one, as we just talked about, Southern Virginia won in overtime against Wilmington. Would have been a third correct choice. Yeah, and so we talked about St. Scholastic against Sewanee, and we talked briefly about Austin College against Hendricks. As it turned out, neither of those games got played. They were two of the four games that got canceled in week one because of covid and this is around the nation podcast number 284 released on september 6th 2021 thanks for listening and again keep an eye out for our continuing coverage throughout the division three football season you can support production of this podcast and the whole d3sports.com family of websites in general by visiting patreon.com slash d3sports but you know even if you can't afford to support us financially you can help us out by telling a friend classmate fellow alumnus someone at your tailgate you know, the people who are also in your parents' group, parents of players. You can tell them about this show and about the website in general. Plus, you can rate and review this show in the various places where people rate and review podcasts. You can reach us to talk more about Division Three football on Twitter using the D3FB hashtag. I'm at D3Football. Greg is at Wally Wabash. Uh, we have a message board devoted to Division Three sports. Did you know? Join the conversation by registering to post at D3Boards.com. Also, you can follow D3Football.com on Facebook. The executive producer of the Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh and additional audio this week from Gordon Mann. Our theme music is Power 2 by DJ Mentos. We use more of his tracks as well in the show. You can find them at djmentos.com as well as on Spotify. Thanks to Colin Franz. Thanks to Dante Simmons. Thanks to Greg Thomas, my co-host. And thanks to the originator of Around the Nation on d3football.com, Keith McMillan. What will people do without our rising and falling? We're recording this before the poll is even complete. I know. They can catch it in Around the Nation, the column. Around the Nation, the column. That's cool. We should definitely have a column called Around the Nation. Spun off of this podcast. There'll be a time to, uh, to look at all this stuff and to reflect, but now's not the time. <laughs>